0: And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today, we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know. So you're in for one hell of a ride. But today, I just have to uh, do the adverts. And then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the Immortals' plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice, should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave. As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner, Fight for the world's survival rest with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine cri- refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book it's uh, one of her Roman British crime series which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's, that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. So, guys, I promised you a bestseller. I promised you a genius of her craft and she is here today to share that knowledge with you. I am so lucky and honoured to know this woman and to be able to call her a colleague and friend. So without further ado, please everybody welcome Sarah Mallory.
1: Hello. Thank you for that great introduction.
0: <laughs> it's funny, everybody's always done surprised at my introductions and I'm like, I wonder why.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's lovely. We all we all love to be to be praised and to have compliments. You know how lovely that is. So, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, I think because I also understand the nerves as authors when we mm. kind of go into doing this. You know, there's that kind of you get the butterflies, but then you're also kind of dreading answering the same questions over and over again. Uh-huh. and that's kind of where I love this because it it's just a conversation it's not you know, and I get to go back and edit it if I don't like certain <laughs> things or I can yeah. smooth it out or do whatever yeah. it is I need to do Um, so that, that's why I love this show and I, I feel like that's why I'm seeing an uptake in everybody who listens you know, we get people from Texas who listen and people from Russia and all over the world. It's just—it's crazy just how far this has gone, and and we are coming up to the one-year anniversary. May first, no, wow. yeah, May first. It was. Mm-hmm. I started this last year, and I—I um, I think I've—I've I've released over sixty-two episodes so far. So you know, it's been been a bit crazier than I expected, and, and it's lasted longer than I thought. I thought everybody would. I would struggle to get guests on, mm-hmm. and then I, I thought that nobody would be interested in coming <laughs> on, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Good. So, we're here today to talk about The Night She Met the Duke. Why don't you tell us about that, and we'll take it from there.
1: Well, it's, um, a Regency romance, which is, uh, possibly my, my favourite genre, uh, And really it does what it says on the tin. It it starts with the night she met the Duke. Um, Prudence is living in Bath. Uh, She's had some sadness in her life. She lost her her brother um, and hasn't quite got over it. And she's living a very quiet life in Bath. And Mm -hmm. some cruel person in the past said that she's as dull as her name, which, which hurt at the time. Um, and it still rankles. And, uh, the book begins with one evening, late one night when she goes down to the basement kitchen because she thinks uh, a, a drunken servant has left the door unlocked and finds a disheveled stranger sitting at the kitchen table which is a bit of a shock and since the only um, man servant is is drunk and completely unconscious she has to work out how to handle this and obviously she's not strong enough to throw the guy out and it just turns out that he is uh, Garrick um, Duke of Heartland who is reaching a crisis in his life Uh, and she helps him through I don't want to give too much of the story away. Um, but she, he's, he's... No,
0: you've, you've done amazing. I...
1: <laughs> well, he's not very happy. She, she talks to him, she helps him on his way, thinks they'll never meet again. But then uh, she gets invited to London with her aunt. She's a companion to her aunt. And I've set the whole thing around 1814 and it it was quite a year of celebrations for Britain. There was the centenary of George the uh, Third of the Hanoverians, rather the, the Hanoverians coming to the throne. Yeah. Um, so they they were going to celebrate their hundred years later in the later in the year. But before that, in June, um, the Allied sovereigns came to Britain. The Prince of Wales. Prince Regent invited them over because everyone thought Napoleon was defeated so they had some celebrations a bit premature shall we say Um, but it it meant one of the things which is quite important for anyone who writes Regency is that the Tsar came over and made the waltz popular and you know in in lots and lots of Regency stories you have people waltzing so that was, is one of the, the points in the book and most of it takes place during the celebrations at the various parties uh, and events that were going on in London at the time. And there's a bit of a mystery put into it. Um, Prue is, she likes to help people. She, she is really a champion of the underdog and anyone who is... Um, if, if she sees injustice, she wants to to change it. and although Garrick is a Duke, he is, there is something in his past which brings up a lot of injustice towards him. He's, um, and so she feels she has to defend him, which he's not too happy about. He thinks he'd just like to let it go and, and get on with his life in peace and quiet. but on the other hand he then has to defend her because she's determined that rights to right some wrongs. So and that's that's basically the whole story. Without giving any spoilers. Yeah. It does it does sound fantastic. <laughs> I I really enjoyed writing it. It's very it, you can't really just have a boy meets girl, you've got to have more to it than that. And the characters have to have something going on in their life. Um and yeah. uh, Garrick is quite a complicated character, as as is Prue in her way, uh, and it's bringing them to get, together and having quite a lot of fun along the way with it. So.
0: I like that and I think with Regency you do need to have that little bit extra, you can't just have boy meets girl, not, not nowadays anyway, because I think with all the way that media is and the content we're seeing is and the way everything's moving that audiences just expect that little bit more to every story they read so that uh-huh. it makes them feel satisfied when they've read it um, and I think you're very talented at taking those extra little details and, and implanting them to make a story just really seem like it comes to life
1: Well I, I do like to have a, an accurate historical background I like to weave my, my romances and my stories into, into a backdrop that is reasonably historically accurate. It's, um, it's difficult to, to get everything perfect and to make it right because it's a fantasy land for a start. There, aren't, there weren't that many dukes in England, yeah. <laughs> but they're incredibly popular you know. with readers, so um, we do our best.
0: I agree with that, and I, th- I think, you know, anybody who doesn't live in Britain necessarily doesn't know that we didn't have a lot of dukes, or earls, so I think it's kind of, it's interesting to me, I always have a little giggle because my was like, well, we don't have that many dukes, and, and you know, everyone in America thinks that everybody's related to a duke in some way, mm. um, I always find that, that very, very fascinating to see that kind of reaction from people. Mm. So where where did the inspiration for this particular book come from?
1: I think it started with the idea of um, of Prue as a a woman who she was single. She's about twenty four, I, I believe, or twenty five. So she's really on the shelf. She doesn't expect to to meet anyone and and marry. And she's she's above average height, so that. Sort of restricts her her choices a little bit. She's not uh, not classically beautiful, so she's she's going to have to have something um, to to bring her to the attention of this man. And also, I wanted to do something about the woman, basically the woman saving the man. Um, you know, it's it's very often yeah, we have the hero
0: done in, in Regency.
1: It's it's very difficult in Regency because women, their their role in society was a little bit more cramped. Um, even then, in in sort of medieval times, I believe. They, by by Regency, we were heading towards the uh, the little woman not getting involved in anything. Uh, women have always been strong, and lots of them have always done lots and lots of wonderful achievements, but then it's not always recognised in society so the perception is that uh, women were just chattels and didn't do anything and a lot of them were so it's it's finding that fine line between reality and, and writing a fantasy that people can actually believe in, can lose themselves in for a few hours.
0: See, I agree with that because for so many decades, everyone just assumed it was men from Vikings that was going out in boats and fishing and raiding and trading and doing all these things. Whereas what they didn't know was there was a special group of women that they kept who could go into these towns and villages and not raise an eye, but were trained to defend themselves, to raid, to, to do all this sort of stuff and I think that's incredible because it kind of shows that there was some gender there was a gender equality in the tribes it was mm-hmm. just on who yeah. you were like it was about who you were born to it dip- sort of dictated your life almost mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it's lovely when you see that portrayal of a strong woman in history because it just reminds people that you know that women weren't always uh, put in the corner, so to speak?
1: No, no. Uh, I know are a lot of incredibly strong women did, um, they were in the shadows, you know, they, they may have been working hard, but they, they just remained in their men's shadow. But it didn't mean that they weren't important. Whether the men would have done quite so well without them is possibly a, something we could debate at some stage. <laughs> so, but it's yeah, it, it is difficult. I think we writing.
0: definitely could debate that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's one for another day, definitely. So,
0: what was the best part of writing this for you?
1: Um, the best part of writing it is always uh, coming up with the the premise and then starting the story. Once once I've thought it all through, I never I never plot anything. I always know. You're going, I'm going to have a happy ending I know who's going to be happy at the end um, but apart yeah. from that I never plan anything along the way but by the time I've I reach the end by the time I know what happens at the end I'm beginning to get bored with the story and moving on to the next one so the starting of it is always the the best bit and then getting lost in the characters when they have great scenes together and they're you know, when they're sparking off one another or there's uh, an adventure scene or something. Um, yeah, it, it, it sort of, as long as it flows, that's great, um, but as I say, once, once I've done it, once the story's written and told, that's it, I, you know, it's done for me, so. Having said yeah, that, very I very do very reread very them very occasionally,
0: So, what was the hardest part for you with writing this one?
1: Uh, oh, I, that's that's a difficult one. Um, I'm not really sure if there was really a, a difficult part. I, I, the characters just seemed to know where they were going in this one. Um, maybe I think they were possibly. Sorry.
0: So you were hanging on as, as the, the story ran away, you know, you were kind of like clinging on as if you were on yes. a roller coaster?
1: Yes, I, I think towards the end it was working out the timings to make sure that um, everything fitted the backstory uh, of things that had happened um, had to fit in with uh, Napoleonic war history. And also towards the end things get a bit exciting and you've got to have all the characters in the right place at the right time and that's that's always a little bit complicated you've got to make sure that the story flows to get them there um, but it's yeah so it, it's sort of maybe the mechanics of it in, in places was a little bit uh, tricky but it worked And. I've just because it was it's a long time since I wrote it. I just reread it again, and I must admit, I, I do quite like this story. It's uh, it seems to rattle along quite fast.
0: Sometimes that is the, the best part when you reread it. Yeah, when mm. you reread it, and it flows really well, and there's you know, you can feel that fun that you had when you wrote it coming yes. through. That that to me is always the best moment. I think.
1: Yes. Yeah, I I think sometimes when you've finished it and then you've edited it and then you've revised it, maybe more than once, sometimes the spark seems to go out of it. So it's good if you can put it away. Uh, Or even if after it's published, if it's a while since you wrote it and you've, you've moved on to other things, if you can come to it with fresh eyes and you see it a bit more, a bit more subjectively. No, objectively get that
0: right yeah you can almost (laughs) see it as a reader would see it
1: yes yeah yeah it's very difficult but to do that if you've written something but we try
0: yeah i I think we all try because you know as authors we we kind of come up with these stories and we create them and and unfortunately as a case like uh, of them being like our children and we have to Mm. you know go through this process of creating them and editing them and, and mm. being so involved with it that when it's out there in the world it's almost like we're we nervously wait to see how it does and it, you know all our books are kind of like our children in that way because mm. we're very understanding of you know we all know what each other go through for writing it it's never an easy journey it's never quite yeah. simple so you know I think that's a great thing to share because we all have a piece of ourselves out there in these books, and I think I think that's that's what makes a story really sing. If you can place a piece of yourself in it.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's it it is. Um, I think you have to write with from the heart, uh, and if if you don't, I think sometimes that if people can write books and and they haven't got that spark. It's because they're not writing possibly whether it's whether they love what they're writing or they're they're just doing it by rote i don't know but uh, i think it shows if someone's really enjoying their writing yeah it can show oh
0: i, I think that as well so what books have you read recently that you could sim- you would know, you would you could say has stuck with you the most that has really kind of left a lasting mark on you so far this year
1: um well I think I I've, I've said to you before when I'm when I'm actually working on a book I try to avoid romance reading romance and reading historicals because I I don't like to I don't want it to affect the voice my own voice um but recently I have I've recently revisited a Rosamund Pilcher the the Shell Seekers um which is quite a large book. Uh, you know, it's it's quite a thick saga-ish tome and there's lots of characters in it. But it's incredibly well written. I read it almost as a, a lesson in writing a novel. It's very good. Um, so I, yeah. I uh, although it's been around for years, um, I still find that a, a good book. Um, I've also read... Uh, and Anne Cleves. I, I like all her Shetland series very much. And I found one recently, I don't think it's a new one, but it's called The Sleeping and the Dead, which is a, more of a psychological thriller uh, with a mystery from 1972 and someone who was a, a woman who was a girl at the time who is involved and bringing in characters. And I think Cleves is very good at. Um, at setting up characters and getting into their their psyche and just making them slightly more complicated and possibly more realistic um and so that was a really good one and then the most recent one i've read which is a uh a cozy crime it's by a colleague of mine liz fielding who is a very very good mills and boone contemporary romance writer Excuse me. Oh, okay.
0: (coughs) Well, I was going to say Fiona...
1: Excuse me about this. Fiona
0: Cullings' Into the Dark. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: My throat's a bit dry. I don't talk very much.
0: She did... um... (coughs) (laughs) Yeah. That book was was very good because it, it really was contemporary, strong women with quite a, tw- a, a twist to it, but it's also a bit of a spin-off from her mm-hmm. Bone Collector series, which I think is yeah. quite interesting, because the boy that was in her Bone Collection um, is now grown up, and it's kind mm. of following on from that, following on his story in a way. And I, I think that's that's good, because I, I really wanted to know what happened to one of the boys that was in the Bone Collector Um, but I always like Fiona when it comes to crying just Mm. because she's such her voice is such a good voice Um, so yeah I I keep coming back to that one because I I don't know why but that one just felt really good when I read it and I still think about that one back and forth and I was saying to you before we started I read The Elopement by Tracy Reese which we have the review on the Book and Life podcast and that one was actually just a very quick Catherine Cookson-like story mm. that flowed really, really well. And I've been lucky enough. She sent me two of her other ones, which is The House of Silver and and the Rose Garden, uh, which I'm looking forward to getting into at some point. Um, but yeah, those, those are sort of ones that are sort of sticking out for me right now. And then uh, in a week or two I'll be starting yours, so that'll be That'll be even more fun for me.
1: Oh, good, good. Well, Liz Liz Fielding's, um, she's recently turned to to cozy crime from her romance. And I read the, I was lucky enough to have a a proof copy of the, um, uh, of her new book, which is called Mo, I think it's out at the the beginning of May, maybe the end of April. um, And it's called Murder Among the Roses. And it's, it, it I really enjoyed it. You can tell she's honed her craft well writing for Mills and Boone. You know, the the story flows, the characters are there, the dialogue is there. Um, and it's, it's a great cosy crime with a touch of romance as well, which you just, you know, is never a bad thing.
0: It's never a bad thing. I really kind of find myself in awe of people who can do cosy romances because mm-hmm. it's not like the cosy crime romances cause it's not an area that I've been able to do and I would have loved to have been a Melbourne author, I think I would have done okay with it, but mm. uh, I could never get their formula to fit my kind of storytelling so, yeah I I mean, think, I, 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 I have, yeah. I have I think a, that's... endless respects for people like that well,
1: it's, I, I think that's the problem there isn't really a formula, it's just a, a style of storytelling. If you presumably I have it because okay. they're still publishing me, but I was writing those books before I that style before I wrote for Mills and Boone. Um, and I don't think I haven't changed my style really much to suit them. As long as I can write books yeah. that I like that they will publish, then we seem to be doing okay. So I'm not sure it's very difficult I don't really think there is a formula except um, you know it, it's just if your style suits their way of working and there are so many different styles of writing that obviously not everyone's going to fit into that um, maybe some can yeah. change their style more I mean, too I
0: I've come close I came close yeah. twice to get inside mm-hmm. um, and I felt very kind of honoured with that um, but I just I just didn't make the cut, um, mm. but you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm signed with Tai Haran, pu- mm-hmm. Publishing here in the UK, and I look forward to doing the prolific contract that I'm doing with them. Um, but yeah, my funnily enough, it was medical romance that I came very close to getting published with them. Really? So, yeah. 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 <laughs> It, that is, I, I that. came close, and then the editor, I, I had done the rewrites for, she left, and then mm-hmm. I sent in the rewrites I'd done for this new editor, uh, and uh, they were looking for a Grey's Anatomy kind of story, and I, mm-hmm. I'd come up with this Grey's Anatomy kind of story, and then they turned to me and said, you know, the only thing that they didn't like, or really the only re- reason they couldn't take it was because of the power dynamic between the two, between hero mm-hmm. and heroine. And unfortunately, my story didn't work any other way, and no. uh, so it, it, it didn't go ahead. But uh, yeah, I, I came close. Maybe one day I I might be what they're looking for. But
1: uh, yeah, so far, no, no luck. <laughs> what? <well, it's, laughs> but you're. I mean, you're you're doing well. You've got a, plenty to go up for a while. So <clears throat> I you know I don't I don't think yeah, you're going to be. Yep. Yeah, three next two years
0: is. Uh, I don't need to look for another one. So. No. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing and I, I look forward to sharing um, my work with you through my oh. new publisher. I think uh, I think you'll definitely enjoy it, um, especially with the different kinds of novels that I'm able to do. There's no... It's weird because I, I always wanted a contract where I could write whatever I wanted and, and not feel constricted by one genre or one mm-hmm. pigeonhole. <coughs> um, this really allows me to do that so if I wanted to do a crime novel I can do a crime novel if I want to do YA I can do YA Um, so yeah it it feels like a very good good fit for me yes because I'm never really sticking to one genre anymore (laughs) yeah yeah so is there out of like all the books that you've read do you have one author that you go back to all the time
1: um I think I think my my comfort read these days is Millie Johnson. Um, who is uh, a Yorkshire lass, Barnsley lass, and her books are a mixture. They they have some humor in them but they it's sometimes it's a bit of a dark humor. She writes quite quite gritty modern romances um about real Real working-class people, generally, um, in very different jobs, yeah. usually around uh, all based around one area of, of Yorkshire, um, and I maybe it's because we spent such a long time living in Yorkshire, but I love her books, and I can go back and reread them and find something new in them every time, and it's it tends to be about people.
0: That, that's the quality of a great
1: writer. Yeah. She is. She's incredibly funny, uh, incredibly supportive of other writers as well, um, and I just just love all her books. She's she's changed slightly from the early ones. I found this... Hmm.
0: Is there any books that you're looking forward to coming out? Like, is there any? books from authors that you know is coming and you're like i have to get these these ones
1: um i don't think so i will i will buy the next millie johnson when it comes out i will i will probably buy the hardback depending on what's on my to be read list i try and hang on a bit but generally i I buy it when it comes out um but um no, I don't, I, I think apart from Millie, I don't think now there's anyone, there's there's several writers that I I like, um, Anne Cleves, I, I enjoyed the Shetland series more than some of her others, I, but I, I think she's a fine writer, whatever she does, uh, it's just the Shetland one, maybe it's because yeah. I've got this thing about the Highlands and the Islands, that uh, Shetland really, it you know, I really like that series, so
0: yeah Shetland's got a way of getting into people's bloodstreams and not quite letting go
1: yeah I can speak yeah.
0: for, from experience on that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> well she we um, I have heard it, her talk I, she I came. Mean,
0: growing up in Shetland is so magical so.
1: yeah well I, I know Cleves isn't from Shetland but she did live there for a while or spent some time there and I have heard her speak about her books and uh, you know, the, the crime elements and the forensic elements that she puts into them. And she's an incredibly good writer, but she did get, for me, she seemed to get into the into the skin of the Shetlanders because um, her books do seem quite, uh, not quite so door as some Highland writers that I know, uh, but she does seem to get into the characters yeah. and understand... Uh, the the family system and the, not exactly a clan system, but uh, about tradition um, and loyalties and the landscape. Yeah,
0: tradition's very important. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I th- I think it was her man that was her connection to Shetland, and I think that when she lost him, mm. that was the reason that she stopped writing the series.
1: Mm. Well, I know she was. She did some um, some work there, didn't she? On the uh, on one of the uh, about the bird sanctuaries or something. I I can't quite remember now, but I know there was a connection there, yeah. which kept her there. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah,
0: I know that when the bird sanctuary burnt down, she was very devastated about it because oh. that bird shell, like that that shelter that people use to go see the birds and watch the birds. Was really the best income for that island and when they lost it it meant that there was nowhere for people to stay so they couldn't really spend time on the island and it really Mm. affected that local island's um economy and it was good to see her kind of raise that point you know um yes but yeah i think she's a great advocate for shetland and i think this this makes it even more interesting you know, to see where she's going to go next. I don't think she'll ever write about Shetland again because of her connection with her husband. But uh-huh. I think it's it's lovely that she she was able to to give the island a bit of notoriety, even if it wasn't quite what the locals would have liked. But she really did spark the the crime writers of Shetland uh, with the Shetland Noir. You know, it yes. I would kind of peg as being her biggest achievement. Um, and there's so many best-selling names that go up there now to support the Shetland Crime Series um, and the Shetland Crime Writers, but I think it's, it's, it's very good, and I was actually lucky enough that uh, one of the teachers from Bray had um, mentored me a little bit when I was a teenager, and probably is the reason that I went into publishing so, you know, it's, it's great, I think it's, it's lovely to have that kind of connection with everybody So in the writing side of things what would you say is being the most difficult thing for you to kind of overcome or learn or adapt to
1: oh um it's, it's I'm not you know I, the writing bit I'm a storyteller I am, I'm not a literary author at all uh, I like I like to tell stories and write stories, um, so possibly managing to actually have the patience to write a whole story out is one of the things that is can be a little bit difficult. You know, the the story races ahead in my in my mind, and the reader sometimes needs a bit more information than than possibly I you know I, I might brace bra- on towards the end of something and you think hang on you've got to take the reader with you so you need to fill in characters and um, even secondary characters to give them slightly more flesh um, but I I don't know I, I find the whole writing thing is it it's almost a mystery it's quite magical the way a, a story evolves and, uh, and sometimes they almost write themselves and they always seem to come out at, at about the right length and the yeah, right place as well, that. which is great. So.
0: so what's been the easiest part for you? Like what would you say has been the easiest part of your journey so far?
1: <sighs> the easiest part so far has been coming up with the ideas. I think the hardest part is finding enough time to write them all down. Right. Um, you know, there's lots and lots of ideas, (laughs) (coughs) yeah, yeah, lots and lots of ideas, um, have started, but then you've got to, you've got to finish them and you've got to follow through and get the whole thing finished and written and polished up, so, um, I've quite a, quite a few in the pipeline or in the drawer that. Possibly need writing. One or two started. One or two finished. Even that could possibly do with coming out and being looked at again. So, yeah, coming up with stories. There's always would be a your
0: what if.
1: My best advice to anyone. What would be your
0: yeah your best advice for new writers coming into it, like in regards to time management and. Kind of self-care and balancing the two. Uh,
1: uh, the time management thing. I I now tend to have a um, a timer. I, I I'm at the stage now when I I know where my deadline is going to be. Uh, so I I allow myself, and I'm very lucky because. I can I can spend all day at it if I want to, but I set the timer for four hours and it's four hours or a thousand words. Sometimes you know, if if I'm not writing the actual story, it can be four hours of research. But I try and do that daily, um, and it's surprising how long four hours will take you if you have interruptions. You know, if if someone comes to the door or there's a telephone call. Uh, those four hours can stretch all day uh, sometimes they go very yeah, quickly so or you then can then get you know a couple of thousand written in a, in a couple of hours but it's it it's actually sitting down and getting started and sitting there and you there's no other way around it you've got to type word after word so and it's yeah, your story that.
0: You're setting yourself goals
1: yes yeah. And
0: following through with those goals and knowing where you're going yeah. and is don't the only get, way to do this business. There's not, yeah, don't it, get distracted. not really a good rule book. There's plenty of books out there about it, but you need yeah. to just keep going.
1: And it's it's very easy to get distracted and to think, oh, there's something else I'd rather write. Sometimes it's irresistible and you have to go with that. But mostly you should, well, I think you should maybe make a few notes put it into a file, put it aside, and get on and finish what you're doing. Um, it's the, the, the old, I think there's an old journalist saying about don't get it right, get it written. Once it's written down, once the, the first story, the first draft is written down, you can go and polish it, edit it, make the changes. But until it's written, um, you have you have nothing to sell, nothing to sell to anybody, so even yourself.
0: And, and also I think believing in what you're writing too, um, because I think a lot of people will start writing it and then question whether it will make money or whether it will do well and that kind of puts everything back in, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll then go away and they'll try something else and I think just having faith to go, you know, to see it through all the way to the end and know that, okay, if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell, but you've at least written that story and you never know when yeah. it might be something that somebody will I, want to pick up and somebody
1: will want to do something and else I, yes I, I think it's um, it, it's a bigger problem for, for new writers and sometimes they don't realise that I, as far as I know every, every writer I know is always anxious about the book she's writing and the one she just finished we all have moments of doubt about whether it's good and whether it's going to sell or whether we're going to be able to sell it. it doesn't matter whether you've written one book or a hundred. Um, you still worry. They're, like you said earlier, they're all your children and you still worry about them. So.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I know that every time I sit down to, to write the ending of a series and I, I hate that. That's the hardest part for me is, is walking away from characters for good. Because I want—that's what makes me a good series writer. Because I never want to say goodbye. Um, <laughs> that's always the hardest part for me. Do you do yes. you find that when you when you are done with the story and you know you've got to say goodbye to the characters, do you find that difficult? well I, it
1: it is, but I'm I'm fairly lucky that uh, with Mills and Boone, very often I take one of the characters and write uh, write another book, which so it then becomes a series with. Um, this the the night they met the duke. There is the duke's best friend, Jack Caliter, and I just li- really I've just finished his book, um, which is, which Mills and Boone are going to publish. I think it's under the title um, something in the brooding lord. I can't remember what it is now. But uh,
0: not Ooh, Cinderella. Oh, it might be Cinderella
1: point. and the brooding lord, or Beauty and the brooding lord. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm so, so focused I on The Night She Met though. the Duke now that the other one is, is put aside in my brain into a separate <laughs> compartment. But the, there is a second one now in the series. So, um, so I get to see the characters. Prue and Garrick will come back and make a few, uh, a few appearances in the next one as well. Which is great. I love that. Being able to show them a few years down the line.
0: I think that's good as well, because it's almost like you're not saying a proper goodbye, because you know that they might appear in a later episode, or in a later book, and it kind of gives you that, that, you know, like, you're not saying goodbye, you never know when they're going to come, come back again, and I think that's, that's, that's amazing. I wish I could get into that point myself, but a lot of the characters (laughs) I write tend to not to want to go away, (laughs) um, or, you know, never think their story's done, so... I think that's why I end up with such long series is because the, yeah. the characters for me is it's not just them that you're listening to and you're you're getting to know it's their world. I always have the focus on making yeah. an entire universe, and um, I think well, people find yeah. it very difficult to walk away from the universes as well. So,
1: um, yes. yeah, uh, I, Jack. I, Jack is just pop. <laughs> Jack Calliter has just popped into my mind and told me that it's snowbound with the brooding Lord. He's just remembered it. So. Luckily he's there be, his, being his story. Being his story, he's very keen that people should know
0: <laughs> Yes, I, I get that with mine as well. Like I struggled over the title of my new one for the, the Susan family series. and uh-huh. it's a layless sort of spin-off. And I was like, Well, do I call it just Layla? Or do I call it Layla's world? And I kind of commentated on it for a year. I went back and forth about it for a year. And just one night I was I was having a completely unrelated dream and she walked straight in as if she was this uh, teacher in a fell mood slamming the door and she turned to me and she goes, It will be Layla's world just like how Marie's got hers. <laughs> and I was like, okay then,
1: that's settled. Yeah, like,
0: you yeah. know, I'd been going back and forth with my co-author for a year, and then she just comes in and just yeah. lays down the law. So, um, well, so yeah. Mills and Boone do have a, continuing the series on.
1: Yeah, Mills and Boon do have a, a marketing team who who work on the titles. so I think they have some sort of system where they they pick out all the most popular keywords, the things that their readers are looking for. So they tend to they yes. tend to decide on the titles for us. But uh, um, you know, it's it tends yeah, to I, be I basically. I what... that
0: because I get stuck yeah. on titles all the time. Um, I always start off with what I think the title should be, and then by the time the book's finished, I'm like, no, this mm-hmm. doesn't this doesn't tie with it you know and i end up pulling my hair out trying to think of what it really should be um so i i like i would have loved the idea of having somebody say well you know this is this is the title it has to be i think that would take the pressure off me just a little bit
1: It, it does a bit yeah i mean i always have a working title for my books um but it, whether that yeah. ends up as the real one, is it, it usually doesn't. But it's good to have something when you're actually working on it.
0: It does. It is, I think it's very helpful. Um, and because the way that my series works is you get one from Marie, you get one from Amber, you get one from Charlie, and then you get one from Layla. And the fact that it mm-hmm. rotates through the characters so that you're getting everybody's stories but you could read their stories separately as separate series but um. they can all come together to create this overall tapestry this overall picture um uh. that wasn't planned that just kind of happened but i like that idea of being able to sort of make it like a jigsaw puzzle where you put them all together and and you get the overall sort of vision of the world and that and none of my characters are perfect most of the time, people always hate one of them. Sometimes it's <laughs> the lead, to <coughs> be honest. But mm. I like I like the exploding flaws. I think that makes it. Yeah.
1: Well, humans aren't perfect, it's interesting. so. Yeah, yeah. If, if they were perfect, they'd be cardboard cutouts, wouldn't they? So you don't want that. Exactly.
0: Yeah, because we all do things that we all make mistakes, and we all put our trousers on at one you know one leg at a time. But I think. We, we all have our unique quirks and traits and I like to show that off in mine um, so yeah well it's it's been lovely having you on you've made it to the end uh, we're now going to just talk about life and, and what you know what you do to balance your, your work life and your life
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, which I always think is the hardest part of being an author is, is not just time management but Making time for family and friends, and remembering to cut mm-hmm. your hair, which I always forget. Um, so yeah, how do you do to de-stress once you're kind of done with your writing and your editing? What's your way of just going?
1: Um, Sometimes, depending on the weather, going for a, going for a long walk can be uh, is great to de-stress that way, um, or Playing the piano, or doing just just sometimes doing housework, catching up. When I finish a book, by the time I finish, there's usually quite a lot of housework that needs doing. So um, that can be quite I mean, therapeutic, about, yeah. taking your mind off the books. <laughs> and also the the office at that stage always my study needs tidying, um, because things as you come towards the end, everything has to stop so you finish the book. And then you look around and you find your, everything is in chaos and it has to be tidied before I can start the next book. So, uh, a, 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 really, a friend of mine, Wendy Robertson, who's uh, a writer from um, County Durham, and she said years ago one of the things that she was telling new writers is about priorities. Family first, then the book than everything else and I tend to agree with her that's about how I do things Uh, the family the family are who come first but they are all mine are all grown up now so I do get quite a lot of time to myself for writing and I can fit the children in afterwards Um, but uh, I'm sometimes just sitting and watching something on TV because I'm not looking at words uh, I, I love listening yeah. to music yeah. as well. Um, but if you're if you're looking at words and using words all day, sometimes you don't want to go away and pick up a book immediately. you want to you want to just sit and chill out with friends or you know just sit and watch something uh, I need a break wildlife.
0: In yeah. yes
1: yeah you do. or we are very lucky here we uh, the house has a view of the sea so sometimes just taking a cup of tea. Into the lounge and just looking at the water is is quite it's quite restful. You must admit I love
0: that. When I was uh, staying at my parents', they they looked straight onto this cove in Shetland, and oh. they always get orcas that go through there. And oh, love. yeah, taking a cup of coffee and sitting with my mother or my father. And just, mm. you know, watching what was going on in the ocean was always a nice thing to do when we were staying nice. up, up, up in the islands. Um, yes. But now I live in, in Sterling, so I, I always have crows flying around and my cats <laughs> going bizarre because there's so many birds and mm. and things for them to see. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm, you know, one of the things that makes me slow down and appreciate my journey is my illness. I have rheumatoid. Uh, idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis, which means uh-huh. um, my condition's got great ways of slowing me down, and I sometimes get no yeah. say in the matter. Um So, what would be the thing that kind of reminds you to, you know, just take a step back, smell the roses, and,
1: and appreciate, you know, what you've accomplished? Um, I think actually it's, it, it's gratitude for the fact that I have been able to write, um, that I I have been able to give some time to the writing, and it's it when it was younger it had to take a back seat to the family, uh, but now I feel incredibly lucky that we've moved to Scotland, which is the Highlands, a beautiful part of the world, and I, I just feel that I'm incredibly lucky to be here, and I feel very grateful for it. And it's it would be it would be wrong of me not to appreciate the landscape and where we live, and we try and uh, sort of fit in with the local community and help out. I do um, help to run the West Coast Arts, which is the uh, it, it's a charity that brings performing arts, plays, and not so much dance, but plays and music to the to Westeros. Um, which is not easy to get touring mm-hmm. companies to perform this in such remote areas but that helps to it just gives your mind another focus so yeah uh but there's I'm,
0: i must it, admit that's something probably, that I have time. shetland also struggles with oh. because we are so rural and because it's you know it's a 14-hour boat trip or it's a two yeah. to three-hour plane ride that oh. You know, they, they look at it as being too expensive, so I, I like the fact that the Shetland Council and the arts community there will raise money to bring out you know, actors and um, all these different people to teach the teenagers and the kids and the adults to have these workshops oh. to help them improve things that they love and to, to learn about the industries and stuff like that. Um, and I love the fact that there's so much writer support up there, too, that, you know, it's after my own heart. I I was a huge part of the the arts industry in Shetland for so long, promoting it, performing for them, you know, doing whatever it was I could do. So I, I know the, the draw to that. Um, uh-huh. And I feel like I learned a lot from my time on stage and from watching. You know, my great-grandmother my, great-grand- my grandmother and my great-grandmother loved the pantos there. And, uh, yeah. my grandmother Nan would, would take me every year, um, and the last one we actually went to see together was My Fair Lady, which actually turned out to be my favourite, um, uh, musical that I ever got to see with her. Um, yes. so yeah, I, 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 love it. I th- I feel like it's, it's, you kind of walk away inspired, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I would walk away inspired, but I also walk away with the itch to get back on stage myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't know if that was quite what she was uh, intending when she used to take me. But, um, yeah, I, I, I adored it. And I think that the reason that I write now is because of my time walking the stage um, uh-huh. and doing that. Well, it's been absolutely lovely to have you on and as the listeners will know we are going to have a spotlight review for your book which will be coming up in the coming weeks and uh, it, it's just been an absolute honor to have you and I can't wait to have you back and we can talk more about sort of what life is like as a Mills and Boone author and we'll talk a little bit more about the different things that you've learned over the years working there and diving into a lot more about how you pick you know where you're going to go in history for writing these particular novels but it has been truly wonderful to have you on the show today and uh, I hope we can have you back
1: soon thank you Crystal it's been a real pleasure I've enjoyed it thank you